0: hello and welcome to the light work podcast joining me today for our interview series is a friend and someone who i have personally gained enormous knowledge from via her powerful instagram page annalee howling she's an elite coach trauma specialist and highly sought after speaker who's been working in the industry for over 20 years changing people's lives by helping them to find their purpose, break free of limitation and truly tap into their potential. Thank you so much for being here today, Annalie. I would love for you to start our conversation by diving into what brought you to the world of coaching and the work you do today.
1: Of course. Well, firstly, thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute honor and joy to be with you in this space. Um, So, The answer to that question is an absolutely catastrophic burnout just before my 30th birthday. And I was in a big corporate job with all the big sexy corporate stuff that you get, like a nice house in London and a Range Rover and all the things and um, undiagnosable, seemingly incurable variety of health issues ranging from what I thought might have been IBS through to, you know, aches and pains. And this is despite being very healthy, I was always fit, I was trained. Um, And the reality was the, despite all the intolerance tests and things that I was doing and doctor's visits and, you know, whatever else it might be, the elephant in the room or the very glaring, obvious thing that was wrong was my job. And I was doing a role that was so out of alignment with my soul. And I know why I found myself in that industry. And I know that why financial security and creating that was so important for me. It was kind of related to some childhood trauma as well and needing to create that for myself, this safe environment, having come from an environment that wasn't safe. But yeah, the burnout uh, happened, which is just, and I now realize that all these sort of symptoms were burnout, not a gluten intolerance. I was intolerant to my life. and I had a coaching session with one of my beautiful, beautiful, wonderful friends, Nikki, of Electric Woman. And in it, she did a guided visualization. And I'd never experienced something like that before. Uh, I'd done yoga and things like that, and maybe had like a little a little dusting of it in, say, a Shavasana. But I'd never really kind of entered into my own spirituality or had that kind of connection to my subconscious before. And I found it so profound um, and from there, I was like, a light just went on. And I thought I need to find out everything I can about this coaching thing. What is this coaching thing? So uh, quit my job, went freelance. Instead, I left the organization I was with and went freelance in the industry. Um, and I took myself off to San Francisco. And it just involved myself, enveloped myself in the world of coaching. Sam Fran, for people that don't know, is like the home of coaching. It's where the coaching schools are based, generally speaking. And especially at that time, this is like sort of 13, 14 years ago. Um, And yeah, just gave myself the opportunity to really find everything out about whatever this mystical thing was that seemed to have changed my outlook on life and given me this hope. So that was how I found my way into
0: the world of coaching. And I have truly never looked back. And you touch on something there that I think is really important of the sort of childhood desire for something different. And I feel like this is a topic that a lot of people can relate to, thinking that the lack of something from your childhood, if you then go out and find that thing, that's going to be the answer. That's the answer to feeling good. That's the answer to all the problems. It's disillusionment tied into that journey. And it sounds like that's sort of what happened in that corporate world. But you speak about misalignment and I I really want to double down on that because a lot of people in the audience I know really struggle with this feeling of sort of feeling like they're not aligned, but not knowing truly how to distinguish between what's not aligned and what is aligned. And is that something that you work with clients on or do you have any advice on how someone can be discerning on what the signs are of being out of alignment with what your true north really is. So I use
1: this line a lot in like kind of all of my work, but it was something that the reason I use it is it just kind of resonated with me and gave me an answer at that time, which was that I realized I was existing, but I wasn't living. And I would say that good indicator for someone or even just an inquiry question for somebody if they think that might be them or they've listened to something I've just said and gone oh that that's like hit me um is that you know I was doing all of these things and I was doing them in my view the right way you know you're climbing the corporate ladder you're buying a house and getting a mortgage you know you're doing all these things that you're kind of encouraged to do and, and that's what your peers are doing and society says and blah 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 and uh yeah, but I I was existing. I wasn't living. And when I realized that, that kind of also gave me some permission to start peeling the onion, as it were, to start taking some layers away and really investigating, okay, if that is the case, I'm just existing, not living where do I need to start taking these band-aids off? Like, where can I start redirecting this? Where can I bring more joy into my life? Even in one area, right? You know, if it, like, let's just start looking at one simple thing or one small area that I can really bring some life into for myself. So that's where I'd encourage someone to to take an inquiry from that.
0: No, that makes complete sense. And it really ties into sort of the work that I do as well of reconnecting with joy. And I think people really, there's this, sort of dialogue in the self-help area in the wellness world that everything needs to change in your life in order to feel good. And I think exactly as you've just illustrated, starting small still has a massive impact on our well-being and our mental health and how we feel when we get up in the morning. And even if something is like a job is feeling out of alignment with that true north, there are other ways of building joy in that help just alleviate some of that burden of living, which is what people can feel. And I think both of our audiences really come to us in order to find an escape from that narrative. And it's something that there's a lot of resistance to as well, because when the mass majority is going about life in a certain way, you start to feel like something's out of order with you if you're wanting something different. I love that you've said that,
1: because like, a little bit hormonal here today, but like, I felt this sort of surge of rage, you know, because I think it's quite irresponsible. And I think it's incredibly disempowering when there are messages that say exactly to your point, you've got to change everything. I mean, I'm a single mother. (laughs) Like, you know, I've been on my knees going, having gone, obviously fine now, but I take myself back a few years to lockdown even. And I, you know, divorce, homeschooling my child. I don't have a relationship, like sort of supportive family system in that time, but people don't, it's lockdown, financial insecurities, we're in lockdown, business isn't the same. And then when someone's like, change your life to be happy, and you're like, (laughs) you know, like like, I literally can't take any more. And I just think it's really, I think that's quite irresponsible. And you don't have to do that at all. You just need to make, Small, incremental changes that are true for you. And again, to your point, not looking at this sort of, frankly, I think, invented societal um, standard of like, oh, did you not get up at 5am and and home make a ceremonial matcha before doing a gluten-free granola? that you baked for your child or you don't love your child enough because you bought them like a, something from the supermarket. And then, oh, did you not do like this, that and the other? And you're like, no, I didn't. Like, you know, but and then if you if you miss one step in your routine of all these things, there's always something else to add in. There's always something else you should do. I should do this and I should do that. And then you're like, well, I missed that today. So I must be a failure. And this is being heaped on top of, and I know you, you feel this as well. It's being heaped on top of vulnerable people. And that really hurts me. It upsets me that the narrative in this space can be adding more pressure to people that are already so burdened by trauma or pain or hurt. And I do think that that you and I, and we get on so well as well, like, you know, create something I hope that's a bit of a It's a bit of a break from that frankly and a bit of a landing spot for people to come to and go oh thank god that's me
0: oh my gosh everything you said and I think that pressure makes the work feel unattainable and especially that feeling that if you miss one thing on your list of 14 things in your morning routine that you failed that day and you bring that one failure into the day and I think you bring up a really important topic that I wanted to dive in with you on today, because you speak about it so beautifully, is this idea of perfectionism. and especially perfectionism in the world of wellness and self-improvement, because there's this idea that when you have this idea for what you want for your life, or whether that be this vision of your highest self or a goal or a way of living, it's easy to idealize that kind of visual that we see versus what the embodiment of that vision looks like today, which is going to look very different to this image or this movie that we're seeing playing out in our minds. And if you have any experience in that in your own life and what tools that you have used with yourself or with clients to kind of navigate that perfectionism coming into self-improvement.
1: Yeah, I mean, perfectionism is just such a thankless, (laughs) endless marathon that, you know, like you and I are speaking just before Christmas, so people wouldn't maybe know, but we're speaking literally five days before Christmas. And any kind of socials, channels, anything is, you know, perfect place settings. And did you not go and forage for like you know some pine cone and do this yourself and you know as well as getting perfect gifts and doing all these things and being a lovely hostess and you're like no and and add that on top of your job that should be your purpose your you know amazing friendships that you should have perfect boundaries with your conscious relationship that you should have co-created and that should be great and also that you've healed yourself entirely you know and it's (laughs) Uh, yeah so there's this this constant kind of narrative and the perfectionism is is a bit of a trap and it's narrated by usually our lovely little friend the inner critic that is inside and its job is to try and keep us safe and the only way it can keep us safe and by safe it means not being rejected because it wants us to be invited to the party next year and it wants us to get the promotion at work. It doesn't want us to lose our friends because that's really painful. And it wants us to have a nice relationship with our partners or whatever, because that feels good. So it's trying to make sure that we don't have pain. But if you think about like my daughter's seven, but if you think about having a young child in a in a room full of shop edges, it's like, oh, 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 be careful, oh, oh, oh. And that's what that's sort of what perfectionism is coming out. It's your it's the almost like your inner critics at the controls inside. And the perfectionism is the behaviour that we see outside of that. So there's a good reason for it, if you like. It's not because we're doing it, some people may, but I think very much the minority, and not doing it to be manipulative. We're doing it to try to not be rejected, to try and retain these connections and to basically not mess up so that we can stay, you know, connected and in these these deep psychological bonds and that we need to have as humans, that we need to be connected to others, we need relationship. And that's where this perfectionism comes from, because we don't want to be seen as flawed, we want to be to retain you know retain this connection with each other and not face rejection, but it's the inner critic inside of the controls trying to hide what it feels is our is our flaws
0: mm, oh, that's such a beautiful explanation of that child walking around the sharp edges in the room, and it really it you touch on a great point of this. I think it's Kirsten Butler who wrote the book, The Comfort Crisis. I'm going to have to double check on that, but it's such a, it's a powerful book on why that comfort and trying to stay in that safe zone is actually detrimental to growth and moving forward in a meaningful way because inevitably the progress made towards any goal is going to involve mistakes and delays and setbacks and that progress is more important than the perfection of each step. And especially with wellness, it's really easy for someone that's a perfectionist by nature, which can be a really powerful tool in getting things right and fine tuning things and seeing the best way to execute on something. But when it's applied to self-development, perfectionism can be really dangerous because human beings are not perfect by nature and we're not meant to be perfect. And there needs to be some tolerance to get things wrong, especially if you're starting the process of learning to communicate for yourself and to speak up in situations where you normally would be quiet or manage your people-pleasing in a way that allows you to be yourself. And so with that, do you have any kind of feedback for someone in a place where that inner critic is really loud or tools that they can use to kind of work through the inner critic and still take action?
1: I mean, there is literally a free 35-minute masterclass on my YouTube about befriending your inner critic. So they're very welcome to start there, which is where you get to to meet and understand this in, this in a lot more detail. So I would direct anyone there. And I put it out for free for this exact reason. I'm like, I just want people to be able to get quality advice there. But again, a little bit like the inquiry earlier, are you existing or are you living? If you know that it's if exactly as you've named, so if you know it's something that's trying to keep you safe and it's trying to keep you in your comfort zone, something you can do is just to check in and recognise, okay, where is it I'm maybe feeling unsafe in speaking my needs? I haven't done it before. Okay, where's a time that I did something for the first time and it went well? Like you almost need to bring a dossier of evidence. I say this, like, that's supporting what it is you're trying to do. So let's just say it was a sporting challenge. Like, oh, I haven't, I've never done a 10K race before okay well i i had never done an ashtanga class until that time and that went okay you know or i like or whatever it might be like you you just need to kind of bring the supporting dossier of evidence to you know almost yourself and you'll feel it lower because when you realize it's just this little like defender and it loves you deeply but it's like an overbearing aunt (laughs) you know it's like It's just desperately trying to sort of just hold on to you and and kind of coddle you and swaddle you. And, and the, you know, like I said, if you had a toddler in a room full of sharp edges, they obviously don't want to hurt themselves, but they're going to learn like, you know, they're going to be able to navigate their way around. and you know, babies learn to stand up, they, they transition to standing up by falling down a lot, but they keep doing it. They keep on doing it, even though it might hurt them a little bit from time to time. They, they have this need and necessity to learn to develop and grow. And then we get to this place where we start just talking ourselves out of these changes. And I would also say very critically, make sure that when you're, say, maybe making a decision about, you know, whether to turn left or right, And if it might be your inner critic, make sure the rest of your foundations are really solid that day. Because, you know, I talk about my burnout, but I was working like insane hours. It involved a lot of client entertainment, which involved a lot of alcohol. So very little sleep. I mean, my system must have been so inflamed. I was highly stressed. I was unwell. I was unhappy. I was sad. I was unhealed, you know is that the best place to decide whether I should, you know, like, and so I sort of say, ask me on a different day. And if you've got, if you're feeling in any way, not, not your 10 in that time, you know, it would, you don't have to be perfect. Again, we're getting away from perfectionism, but if you know that you're a bit off and if you know there is an intervention that you could put in to feel more like yourself before you make that choice, look at that because actually the inner critic is also the loudest when it can get hold of you and it can get hold of you when you're a bit low. So for example, Sunday night, doom scrolling on social media, when you've got work in the morning, like the inner critic is there rubbing its hands going, what can we put in her feed? Come on the algorithm. Like, let's get, you know, all the X's ex- in and something else and what you could have won. And if only you've done this and, you know, you're like, Oh God. So, you know, cause you've, you've had a you know maybe a fun weekend or you've traveled or whatever and you're not and you're worried about work the next day that's not the time you know wait till you've had a lovely phone call with a friend or a walk or something that does renew your soul and then it will be much 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 quieter
0: that is such a important point that you bring up about when you are at your low and then you're feeding into that est- that state of being especially when you're on Instagram or you're kind of in this less conscious state it's really easy to get like pulled in and something that i really was the most important to me when i first just kind of went on my self development journey was learning to build tolerance and to take my time with things mm. and to take my time with decisions and to take my time with responses because Until there's space between you and your response, you're just repeating patterns of the past. You're repeating the habits of your old belief systems rather than reinforcing new ones. And this is such an important part of any self-development or self-work discussion because it's not about getting it right. It's not about getting it perfect, but it's about building enough space in that you have the option to make a new choice. You might not always make that choice, but at least if you build that space in you, you have the option to choose differently. And I think it can be really foreign to do that, but it's such an important part of the work and key to change, essentially.
1: Yeah, the, the French have a saying, um, le pause. So <laughs> it's literally you know, a saying that they take, which is, and they use it in, in all manner of different Settings and situations just to just to genuinely encourage you to take that moment of space and uh, you know whether it be before you react to something whether it be to take the pause after a delicious mouthful of a beautiful pastry you know take take ourselves to Emily in Paris like but yeah really encourage this moment of the pause to be present basically that's the way I think they they cultivate and have cultivated presence. In a really
0: beautiful way. I love that so much. For the rest of today, you bet that I'm gonna to say to myself, lipples. <laughs> lipples. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down the street. Oh <laughs> lipples. I can have my morning coffee, lipples. <laughs> but that's there's a beauty and a joy in that practice, which I think is another pillar of self work that's so often overlooked is this playfulness, a silliness, that it doesn't always have to feel so serious and like this burden on our shoulders that we're carrying. Oh, I'm working on myself, you know. It's It can feel light and it can feel really enjoyable to be introducing these new habits and routines in.
1: I think you're making a really, really good point. And I think people almost feel guilty when you are having those little pockets of joy, you know, because you can have gone through something really hard you can be continually going through something for a a sustained period of time and maybe it's something that's affecting say a a family member as well or a loved one or whatever it might be and then and then you do get these pockets of enlightenment or i've got you know pockets of pleasure like you say i love i take deep pleasure out of the pause over morning coffee and just again cultivating these little moments for myself to to have joy and I think that there again with this whole well you didn't do your perfect routine and this and that and the other and and you didn't get back to that person you didn't reply to that friend you didn't send that Christmas card and you're like Ugh. yeah I think that you there's almost an, a layer of guilt in there and for you know especially for parents and mothers because you are never um you know like as I made a jest earlier but you know did you do this meal and did you do this thing and did you teach her three languages before breakfast and you know like then then there's all there's another layer of kind of guilt that could be put on there rather than taking these
0: these moments of just joy and there's such a narrative it sort of ties into the work life this kind of collective judgment that applies really heavily to mothers specifically mm. of again that perfectionism comes in of are you getting it right are you doing everything are they sleeping through the night are you cooking every single meal and is it fully organic and That just adds so much pressure and then this constant feeling of uh, it's never enough. And there gets to a point where your best is enough and it always is going to be enough. And that, because that's all the capacity that you have, it has to be enough. And there has to be this built in measure to validate yourself and the work that you're putting in, even if it doesn't match up to this ideal, because ultimately we're striving for an ideal. But ideals are so often not actually reached. And I think this whole culture at the moment is this idealizing a certain place and a certain way of being and a certain lifestyle when really your key to joy lies in appreciating how things are now, the capacity that you have now while striving for your best and allowing everything to come up in that journey. And. I think your experience as especially a single mom, I was raised by a single mom, five siblings, this very busy household. There was a lot going on. I I really, I watched her in that and there was a lot of judgment even as a child. And I think we judge our parents so harshly from that perspective as a child. And it's not until we become an adult that we realize how human we all really are. And I wonder, did you have that a similar process in becoming a mother where you shifted your perspective on the relationship you had with your parents and judgments that you might have passed on them?
1: So yes, is the answer it shifted, but probably in a totally different way. Because I unfortunately, well, just is what it is, grew up in a household of violence directed towards me, particularly at the hands of my father, and my mother colluded very often. So I was, uh, you know, a a child of trauma, and very unsafe, you know, but those are also your caregivers, and you can't meet your own needs, because you're a child. So then you have to, um, you know, try and please these people and and try and keep yourself safe and effectively fawning, which is one of the trauma responses. So that uh, when I became a mother. There was a sort of strained-ish relationship I kind of was trying to sort of maintain with my own mother that just caused me nothing but grief, frankly, and pain. And at the point of knowing that I was having my own, well, around that time about sort of approaching having a family of my own, I just had to do some deep introspection about, you know, would I, when you become a parent, one of your jobs is to keep your child safe. Mm. And To me, they were known persecutors of of physical and emotional and mental pain. And that is not an environment I would ever send my Mm -hmm. child into. So for me, the shift was, and that's very anti-societal. Oh, but they're your parents. Oh, but this. Oh, but that. No, to me, that was a, a boundary that was essential. There was also obviously some healing in that for me and recognition that that was not okay. and never was okay and that just simply was not a situation and environment or a system that I ever wanted my daughter to be a part of and in a sense it was kind of not going to say liberating but I understood better then that I never deserved Mm -hmm. what happened to me and actually my daughter I could never understand it I could never understand um what had happened because you know at the time when you're you're told it's your fault or you've driven them to it or this or that and don't get me wrong I can be ratty sometimes and a bit hormonal and tired having to work and I might not be my best self But I would never lay a finger on that girl you know and I would never I don't even I very rarely even raise my voice you know and if she's like running by a swimming pool or something so uh, yeah it's like I don't there is no um understanding for me of parents that are so unprepared to Look, at hurt a child, and you can see in a child's eyes if yeah. you say a word that hurts their soul, let alone physically or emotionally or mentally, you know, trying to cause them pain. And so, yeah, the shift for me was actually in realizing that I never deserved any of it, despite what they said, and kind of a bit of power, like a bit of lioness power going into like, this mm. is my cub, and you know, I'm on this earth as now, as well
0: as other things to protect her at all costs. Firstly, I'm so sorry to hear that. And thank you for being vulnerable enough to share that because it's such an it's such a vulnerable conversation, but also something that someone listening to this right now, that if they had that experience, I'm so grateful for you sharing that so that they feel seen right now and to know that there is light at the end of the tunnel in the sense that that, that cycle can be broken. And that no child is deserving of neglect. Mm. Interestingly, I shared last year when my father passed away, sort of there was a difficult relationship, no physical abuse, thank goodness. But which, you know, as a child, you're just processing so much of all of your needs and monitoring so closely what ones are me and what ones are not. And then taking the responsibility of all of that on your own shoulders. But I shared that we had a really complicated relationship and that I didn't let him be a part of my life for a long time. And there's a lot of guilt that comes around that, again, tying back to this collective narrative of no matter what, it's family, you know, it's blood. And I never personally have subscribed to that because I think at the end of the day, your piece is too precious to let someone into that family or not family that is proven to you time and time again, that they are undeserving of that compassion and that closeness, emotional closeness, because it would putting be putting you in an unsafe situation. And I think for anyone listening, if they have a relationship with family or otherwise, and they're feeling unsafe emotionally, their needs are neglected, that blood or not it's it's okay for you to put a boundary in place and it's okay for you to create distance and it's okay to choose a different family narrative to what you may see around you and is that something that you enforce boundaries on when you started a family or is that something that sort of you enforce boundaries on earlier?
1: I think like I mean the boundaries with my own family came in a bit earlier as I started probably you know being able to meet some of my own needs and then and You know, I knew how afraid I was, particularly of my father and, you know, the, the pain. I knew it wasn't right, um, what was happening. But like I say, there's nothing you can do about it when you're seven. So you, you kind of got to play along with it, really. And my grandmother was an absolute angel on this earth, as far as I'm concerned. And she passed when I was about 20, early 20. So that was a huge loss in my life because she really saw me. And I think, I don't know if she knew the extent of what was happening, but I knew she she made me feel loved and seen and, um, yeah, safe and special. So, sort of, I think in the journey of grief from losing her to also kind of oh, a little bit of like, right, you're on your own kid, you know, how are you going to do this? And I thankfully, I've always had quite a strong sense, I think, of justice, which probably goes into the work that I do, you know, being a, there's no mistake that I now do deep, trauma therapy work and i do think i would never say i'm i'm grateful that all of that happened but it's certainly been able to help me sit with some of the people that come in to my office or i'm sat talking to you and tell me and some of the stories honestly are things that i didn't even know could exist in this world and like the darkness of it and usually there's a family member involved um you know, or someone that a friend of family or someone that someone knew. Uh, and and I think that my experience makes me able to do my job better. Am I grateful for it? No. Has Have I been able to utilize it and turn it into a bit of a superpower? Yes. So I would offer that to somebody as well. And yeah, I shared something on I think the weekend from a, a podcast where I talked about this in some more detail and I had so many messages this beautiful lady said uh, this reminds me of when I was in the dentist chair because my father had punched me in the face and broken my tooth and I was still trying to find a home but you know but then he's there with her going oh you know like acting like uh you know trying to it's it's the confusion and it's like a narcissistic relationship the gaslighting the oh I'm but I'll help you now and let's make you all better and take you for an ice cream after and you're like what what's going on. You don't know what to do with these sensations and these feelings and finding your own safety. So yes, if somebody is listening to this, you can get through this. There are a lot of people, sadly, but you know, there is a community of people out there that have experienced things. So you're not alone. You're not isolated. You're not unusual. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, and yeah, like me, we don't know why our paths take certain routes sometimes, but it has made me much better at my job.
0: Thank you for sharing those words. It's, I, I really like, I felt that and I'm grateful on behalf of anyone listening in that feels really seen in that because such an isolating experience. And especially when, you know, you see these families around you that no one's family is perfect. And that's, I know for sure. But it's easy to feel like everyone else has it figured out and that nothing bad really happens to anyone else. And it's all kind of like in our own little ecosystem and such a beautiful part about even both of us having these online communities and platforms is that people feel less alone in what they're going through and just how human we all are and just how so many of us actually have this shared trauma and even recognizing that in one another and recognizing that it doesn't mean that something's out of order with us it just makes us human and it's just a journey and a part of our journey that we're working through for whatever reason and like you said so eloquently it's not about having to be grateful for the pain of the past or having to thank it because sometimes there doesn't really feel like there's anything to thank in a really painful experience but just knowing that you are who you are today you've been shaped by all your experiences from the past and you get to choose what the future looks like. And I think that's such an empowering point to pass on of just because you may have had an experience in your child or in your past, you don't have to repeat those patterns into your future. Um, But that being said, those experiences from our childhood do shape potentially partnerships and relationships and dynamics. And personally, I saw that play out for me my like early twenties and dating and really looking for people that were emotionally unavailable or couldn't meet my needs. Do you have any tools that you've worked with clients on in order to kind of break free of those past limiting patterns and then moving into new belief systems and a new experience?
1: Yeah. So trauma, leaves so so trauma leaves behind shame if it's helpful for me to explain this so when somebody experiences trauma of which the example I gave could be seen as fairly extreme but I think the I, I think the older I get the more clients I see the more you know we share in our communities and things like that the more I think we're getting a bit a bit more language probably around trauma and so I think we're becoming more trauma informed in all the ways which is positive because hopefully we can. Do things that we need to do, and use tools, and find platforms and places to connect, and feel a bit better, and not pass it on or take it anywhere else, or or even just not fulfil our own potentials because we're afraid there's something wrong with us. But the way that trauma works is it leaves behind shame, and shame is really hard to put into words. Shame is actually felt, so it, shame is always an "I am" statement. So you know, if I said to you, "Oh, Amber," and you know, my daughter's called Amber. So Amber's one of my favourite name, If I said, "Oh, babe." And actually, you know this. This is true. We spoke off air. Like, she had to get picked up, and he was running late, and I was all a bit flustered before we got onto this call. And I, you know, I'm like, ah, oh, running around, and didn't get a chance to say like a big, big goodbye to her properly. I could be like, oh, babe, I feel a bit guilty. Like, didn't do great today. Like, feel a bit like a bit of a crappy mummy. That's guilt. If I told you the same story and I said, oh, I just didn't didn't give it, get enough time to say goodbye to her because I was running around, and I am a bad mother like I'm giving you a made up example and that makes me feel physically ill when I say I am a bad mother. Like if you, you know, if you try it on, I am a bad partner. I am a bad friend. I am a bad person. I am a bad daughter. I am a bad sister. You know, it, it makes you feel ill. And that's what shame is. Shame is this deep, uh, physical felt sensation that lives within us. And you know, I am statements that I've heard doing work with clients are, I am disgusting, I am a failure, I am broken, I am unworthy, I am unlovable, uh, I am in- helpless, I'm hopeless, I'm weak. And if you think about those shame statements, not only living in your system, but being a lens that you view the world through, and then you imagine the choice in life that you start making, and if we add in the inner critic, who the last thing the inner critic wants anyone to find out about is our shame, because that's obviously icky. It feels icky, and if people find out about our shame, they're not going to like us. And remember, going back to the to the inner critic, they might reject us, and then we'll be alone. So we're constantly trying to sort of push down this shame, you know, like a like a acid reflux or something like that, or a hiccup, or you know, push this down um, and, and basically disguise it. And that's where this people pleasing comes in. And that's where all these sort of surface material, external behaviors come in to try and mask the shame that we feel. And we think we are the only ones that feel that way. And so the tools or inquiry or, uh, yeah, line of, of questioning I would offer to people is it's self-reflection is the work that you need to do. I think you and I both do sort of some guides that are you know, not particularly expensive at all on my website. I'm sure the same on yours and meditation work, but it's self-reflection. And that's different to maybe journaling freely, which is also really important. That's better. That's great for stress. But reflection is really going into what are these beliefs? How old are they? Um, Where might they be living in my body? Where are they showing up in my relationships? How are they affecting my life now? How are they affecting my view of the future, I say to clients that come and work with me, I'm like the way that I can help you best is when you look ahead to your future and you've got that really exciting vision to start with, which lasts for about I don't know two and a half seconds. You're like painting the picture and you've got whatever you want in that like vision board, and then all of a sudden you get that oh feeling because the oh, but you can't do get that job because you don't like flying, or oh, but you can't do that because you're not very good at um, public speaking, or oh but that won't work for you because you'll never be able to achieve anything because you are weak, you know? So that's that's the limiting beliefs that we're carrying around with us, and that's shame. And shame, as the high priestess, Brene Brown says, cannot survive if you give it a name. So that's where this self-reflection work is so important, is just to give more understanding, like bring it to the surface. And then when you even understand what that, what almost the box is that's driving you, the lenses that you're wearing to view the world from and really dig into sort of, like I say, the the history of it, the relationship with you have with it now, then you can transform it and either, like I say, change it in something positive and purposeful for you or let it go if there's no service for it anymore.
0: We cannot change what we're not aware of. That's where that reflection comes in and even as you were speaking about these, I am statements, I believe it was Wayne D- Dwyer that said, whatever follows I am will come looking for you. Mm. It's such, I always think about that when just being more mindful of dialogue and it's something that I speak to a lot. And I know you speak to a lot of being conscious of not only the words we speak out loud, but the words we're saying to ourselves, how we're defining ourselves You will be not consistent with your goals, but you'll be consistent with who you identify as. And that's where that self-identity and those self-statements, especially I am become so important. What are your sort of, what would be one tool someone could use and bring into their sort of self-care routine that would help them introduce new statements or a new sort of a self-identity that would align with exactly as you said, that vision. Either tools would it be to focus on the limiting belief and reworking that, or focus on introducing a new belief?
1: Yeah, I think I was chatting to you um, just off air about this, but I spent this weekend um, in Dubai and I got back this week and I met with Marissa Peer, who's a friend and her lovely husband. And I think what be helpful here is some of her words, which is she uses the the reframe of tell yourself a better lie. So we're telling ourselves these lies like I am weak or um, I am unworthy or any of those things. And hers is like, look, you're telling yourself a lie anyway. <laughs> like you're telling yourself these lies. And it, how is that going for you? And it's always like, well, not working out that well, actually. <laughs> you're like, right. So, and again, it's kind of playing a bit more into this playful energy. Well, rather than telling yourself the lie of, um, I can't do this, or I'm unworthy, or I'm not good enough, like, why don't you tell yourself a better lie? And, and Marissa really focuses on the, the I am enough, like, tell yourself, I am enough, I am deserving, I am worthy. So I quite like that as a reframe, you know, if you're telling yourself a lie, anyway, tell yourself a better lie. And if that's kind of the, the fake it till you make it um, vibe that you maybe need for a certain situation, or like, you know, we talked at the beginning about trying something out for the first time, maybe you're going to name some needs in a relationship dynamic you've never done that before maybe you're going to try and implement a boundary in a relationship system that you've never introduced before Um, your inner critics jumping up and down like having a field day because you're about
0: to break out of that comfort zone tell yourself a better lie I love that so much because it's also something that feels within reach and encapsulates how foreign it can feel to show up in a new way and that when you start introducing new dialogue there is going to be a certain extent of it that feels like a little strange and a little uncomfortable until it becomes a new normal because we're so, our brains are so wired to crave that sort of familiar thought or that habitual thought. So to introduce something new, there is kind of this like scratchiness to it to begin with, just for a lack of better way of describing it.
1: Yeah. And again,
0: bring, bring that
1: dossier, bring that dossier, like the inner critic, bring in that dossier again of evidence of the times that you did in fact do something new. And it felt really ick and awkward. And then it was okay. Like the first date that maybe was a bit awkward. And then it transitioned into a really beautiful relationship or, you know, like, back in the day when you started your job in an office and you didn't know anyone, and your computer didn't turn on, and you just sort of sat there like, what am I doing? And everyone else is getting on with their job. And you're like, oh, this is really awkward. And I feel really, you know, I feel really, uh, yeah, awkward. And everyone else is like, I don't know anyone's name. And I'm in this big office and I've got my new shoes on, you know, and all that sort of stuff. Like, but you got through that. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite quotes, I can't remember whose it is, it's on my its on my page and uh, I did credit the person then, but, you know, you have a perfect track record of surviving the worst day of your life. So think back again to some firsts, some scratchy, icky firsts that you survived. And most of them have probably transit, you know, you certainly haven't. You survived them, right? And they might have been a bit uncomfortable, but it was unlikely it was worse than that, just discomfort. And realising that you can be in discomfort, practising the pause, again, looking at nice little pockets of moments that you can have during something like that when you're stepping into a new a new role, something else. like. And, and again, adding a sprinkle of mischief and pleasure to it. How far can I lean into this new character I'm going to play today? How... Um, much could I enjoy this? Like, you know, tell yourself a better lie rather than I'm really gonna hate this, I'm dreading it. Um, like how much joy can I get from this new uh, relationship with these added boundaries that serve me? You know, like try try it on, play around with it.
0: Experiment. Experiment with your joy and what works and what doesn't. It just it really those empowering questions that you just worked through lead to empowering answers disempowering questions tend to lead to disempowering answers so it sort of touches on what you were talking about of when you're feeling low or you're feeling off not necessarily trusting the thoughts of that inner critic or the thoughts of the mind in that state of being and giving space and coming back to coming back to it and circling back around when you're feeling more aligned and all of those tools are so helpful and so practical that someone can use day to day, week to week in order to implement new habits and a new pattern of thinking or a new way of being in the world that better serves them and who they're becoming and the things that they want to build. As we're kind of touching on beginnings and how to process taking on new beliefs and showing up in a new way, I really wanted to ask you today, It's something that I've been getting questions from the audience on, is how to know when something is over and how to know whether that be uh, in a relationship or in a job, like signs to look for, to know that it perhaps there's some signals there coming from your inner being that there's something to look at.
1: So I think that uh, there's a couple of ways that I could answer this. I'm going to try and give as many pieces that are helpful because I've been in this situation and I remember... The, it's the most anxious I've ever felt is before making the decision. And so I can put myself in the position of leaving my marriage and I can put myself in the position of leaving my, although I was burnt out in my corporate job, it was still a really big decision to leave. It sounded quite fun and frivolous when I was telling the, the story earlier, but at the time it was a huge decision, especially given I was moving away from the sort of financial security that I've made. But in all Circumstances, the most chronic anxiety I've ever had has been the lead up to making a choice. And that choice may have been to reinvest in, sometimes it was in relationship or something else. But I would say one way of a lens of looking at one of these, you know, should I stay or should I go, is there's a big difference between hope and will. And what I mean by that is let's use romantic relationship. Are you willing to make it work? Yeah, of course I am. I'm willing to do this. I can do this I can do date nights. I can, you know, whatever. Great. Is there any hope for this relationship? Is there a vision of the future of this relationship? No. Right. You know, so there's a very big difference between will, which is kind of action and effort and all these things can be applicable and, and useful and helpful but generally speaking if you have exhausted all of those and all the things that you think you know you, you could use and and stuff like that and there is effectively you get to a place where there is no hope then that to me is the time to walk away the other time to walk away from something is if you're the only person that is holding it up it's like thinking about a building and this is like organizations Teams, friendships, whatever. If you were to walk away, does the whole thing collapse, or are there other people kind of taking the same weight? You know, like holding up their share of the structure. Because if you're the only one, and it's not, you know, obviously some people sometimes you need to because someone's suffering with grief or something's going on in their life, and you know, we we'd step in and we tag team, and it's never equal. It's never ever equal, like the the burden or the load we're carrying, right? But if you literally walk away and the entire thing crumbles because somebody simply isn't stepping in to either do work, to help, to initiate. Not enough is discussed about initiation. Are you the only one that creates conversation? Are you the only one that brings up difficulties? Are you the only one that brings up, um, you know, doing things together? If you're the only one that's bringing not only joy, but perhaps, you know, raising the tricky stuff, that is exhausting and again you're the one kind of holding up the structure alone so i would offer that as an inquiry as well and then the other lens is that sometimes when we've been in dynamics let's just pick like a, a really old friendship for example you know i are, are you you know and we can get quite let down by or feel very let down and and often it's like oh but i've known them since i was at school or you know we've been through all this together da, 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 da. uh a lens that i use and I think you know have done this was very very helpful in certain friendship dynamics was if you met them out now, maybe at a friend's house or a social party or something like that, and you met them as they are now today and you were chatting to them or what have you, would you choose them? Would they be your person and if not it's okay to just celebrate the history and what you shared together and you don't have to take it forward in maybe the same way that it is, the same container. Um, Or it's also okay to just leave it there because I think sometimes we – Continue with friendships that might not even be toxic, but just simply there's nothing there. And we don't live in an era anymore where you can lose touch. Do you remember, like, you know, back in the day, like you just maybe wouldn't send a letter or a postcard and then, like, oh, we lost touch. I don't know where they moved to. We lost touch. Oh, well, that was lovely. You know, we don't have that privilege anymore. You don't lose touch with people. So, I think there's a way of um, which I think was, was, you know, back in the day, a beautiful boundary done with grace. And we just lost touch. Didn't know where you moved to. I didn't tell you, you know? So I think there's a, a good way of checking in is right now, if I met this person as they are now, as I am now, would this be a fit? Or would you be like, you know, just someone that you you wouldn't swap numbers with, or wanna ha- wanna catch up with again, or maybe you'd be like, Good, "Goodness me, no, you're not for me at all." So use the inquiry in the present moment rather than necessarily taking all of the history into it. If it's if it's depleting your joy, you know how we talked about if it's
0: taking your peace, like try and use the lens of the present. I love that example, and I felt I feel like you read my mind because I was listening to you speaking about it. And what sounded like for romantic relationships, I was thinking to myself, even for in my own life, and a lot of questions that come through from my audience are, what about the guilt that comes with, I'm no longer connecting with an old friend in the same way. And Mm -hmm. I I almost feel personally in my own process of that, I, I felt like I had to grieve a relationship while it was still in my life, because we were both so different now. And there's also this feeling of guilt on moving away from relationships that no longer feel aligned with the trajectory of your life just because of being in your life for a really long time. So I love that you touched on that because it it can, one, that signal of, are you the only one holding it up? I think that's a great check-in point for people to step back and see, wait, is this relationship relationships still balanced when I take a step back or does it completely go away and that's a really or can be a really scary thing to do but it's also really clarifying and that clarity then allows us to make better relationship decisions in the sense that we can kind of reinvest in people that show up for us versus all of our energy and time going into relationships that no longer serve us and I it's a really Dense thing it can feel really strange navigating it as an adult, but something that's so critical to just happiness and well-being of knowing what relationships that you really want to investment invest in because they're also investing in you and they're aligned and they feel really joyous and really fruitful versus just feeling committed to a bunch of old relationships that no longer have any joy or support within them.
1: Totally, and I would also say it's the kindest thing to do for the other person as well, because you know we're in there and we're maybe not feeling connected and perhaps we're feeling depleted, and then you know we're probably not as forthcoming with catching up or whatever it might be, and I'm a big fan of like being kind and some and being kind to me is being honest, you know skillfully honest, but being honest and if that is not a relationship that i can put as a priority or put time into or or whatever like you know then it's it's important for that person to know So they're sort of not hanging on you know like hoping that um you might change your mind or something like that and it's really important that they know that that's not something that's available in this moment maybe you know like I'm working on a big project or uh, you know and really good friends also understand like I've had to say to my friends quite a few times like I'm really sorry but I'm not going to be very available for you know a period of time because I don't know resources are low or time is low or I'm yeah I'm taking on different projects and obviously like my daughter's my priority or whatever it might be I'm really good friends and especially if you manage it well by saying that in advance they're like of course babe you go tell me whatever you need no problem um and other people is interesting because I've had it a lot, and I'm sure I know my audience has, and I'm sure yours have. The people that will not, and I mean will not understand it. I've had people that that have become very, very toxic, and you know become really quite nasty, and will not respect at all when I'm saying literally I don't have any capacity. Doesn't mean I don't have any care for you, you know, love for you, whatever, but I don't have capacity to effectively you know step in right now i'm asking for this this time i'm sort of letting you know and they have almost it's a very much a, a single focused um mandate of theirs which is well no but i want to see you because i want to do that and you're like wow just wow you know no and and that's good information as well so um and sure enough that's that's a, a cycle of friend laundry that might need to be done but yeah i would say to people don't feel guilty <laughs> because there's a high chance the other person knows there's something not quite right, and that's hard. I'm sure we've all been on the receiving end of that as well, and it's not a nice feeling. So I think it's better to you know, let something go with grace and love and kindness for what was shared. And equally, if there's a disconnection, and you're not getting your needs met by that person, which again, you're on the end of being really hurt, and it's not very nice, choose yourself first and just say, do you know what, I don't really like their behavior, or what they're doing, or how they're being, or maybe the people they're now spending time with. So I'm just going to take a step back out. And maybe this is a, a reason, season, lifetime thing. And maybe they'll step back in. And if they don't, that's
0: okay. And that, that space doesn't have to be all or nothing. Like exactly as you said, you can take a step back without communicating, we're never going to be friends ever again. It can just be that space. And to us, it's something that sort of came through when you were just speaking, then was you know, when someone's shown you time and time again who they are, it then becomes your responsibility to choose if you keep wanting to interact with what you know someone's capacity is you know, we really have to be honest with ourselves rather than kind of hiding behind this idea of who someone was before versus the evidence that that cold, hard evidence in front of us and not getting caught in languaging or words or promises or, you know, things will change or I'll do differently. And really looking at what is the evidence in front of you of who this person's shown you that they are versus who they've told you that they are and with love and with compassion but those tools that you mentioned are really powerful to kind of take a step back and see things more clearly rather than when you're in the thick of it it's really hard to kind of distinguish between what's real and what's not
1: yeah it's it's amazing really because you know we change all the time and it's you know you and I work in this space and we're, we're all about transformation and we coach people through transformations to empower them to change and be fantastic and i think as humans we we want the acceptance of our transformation, but we really struggle when others maybe do the same because we we hurt. You know, there's a bit of grief, maybe. Like, say you're really, really close with a, a girlfriend or whatever, and then they get a new partner. Right? This has happened to so many people, all, or both of us, all the listeners. You know, and guys, all of you. But you lose that person, and especially if maybe you're still single, and you can be really happy for your friend. Like, you're so happy that they found. A relationship but you know that it means that you're going to see them a lot less they have you know you've lost it more than 50 percent of their time because they've just got to meet this new person's friends and you want them to have the the flush of that relationship but you can also be grieving for the loss of that dynamic and maybe grieving for the role that they were filling in your life so yeah I think there's a lot that comes up in friendships and we need to kind of take ownership sometimes for what part of that is us if there's something i can do about it is it a boundary is it asking for a need is it is the example i just gave is it me ringing them up and going hey i really miss you can i come out with you and your partner or would love to see you or whatever it might be you know um or yeah or is the behavior like integrity people's integrity is what they consistently do it's really easy to see what kind of person someone is just watch what they do consistently don't listen imagine you've got sound cancelling headphones on and just like don't listen to a single word they say or the message or whatever if you want to like really assess a situation and this is good for work romantic friendship anything watch what they consistently do and you have an instant answer
0: to someone's integrity and make your decision from that that was some of the best relationship advice my sister gave me actually she said, listen to what people do, not what they say. And I was like, what does that mean? And then I went into the world and I was like, oh, <laughs> now I understand. I love that you framed that conversation and to do with friendships as well, because it's really not something there's a lot of dialogue and relationships, as intimate relationships, and they are so important and, and such a pillar in our lives, but so are our friendships and the same kind of approach to. They're, they're very similar. It's just our, the way we interact with others, our expectations, our needs and communication. So I love that you really like explored that because I think it's really helpful takeaways from that conversation. I, uh, I let my audience know that we were gonna be talking today and they were absolutely thrilled. I got a bunch of questions come through. So I've picked a couple that I wanted to kind of fire at you and see, see what your advice would be to this person specifically. So the first one that came through was how to deal and respond to criticism. And I feel like this is really powerful for this holiday season or any family gatherings or work environments.
1: Well, the first one from this podcast is le pause. Yeah. And feel, feel like give yourself the permission to be all French and chic and uh, embody that energy but also quite nonchalant. Yes. Um, so that one would be you know, just just purely to check in. Like, was that definitely criticism? You know, let's just check in with the I first. Like, was that criticism? Am I my best self right now? Blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, let's just check in with the self. If it is, here's a little a little tool, especially say I'm thinking like holiday season and family dynamics. There's a, a really great systems coaching tool and systems means anything more than one. So like team, couple, family, that sort of thing. And it's called the 2% Truth. So let's just say you're at a family dinner, and I don't know, Uncle Whoever's like, "Oh, Amber, you're so uh I don't know, you're so selfish, following this path of of the work that you're doing and not getting a corporate job or something like that." Now, understandably, you'd be hugely triggered because you're like, "I am not selfish," and I, like, I know you're not as well. And that's very, very triggering when someone calls you, you know, "I am selfish." You're like, "Well, I'm not selfish." If I said to you, "Babe, could you own?" being 2% selfish at times, I imagine you'd say, yes. I imagine you'd be like, yeah, I can own being 2% selfish. Sometimes I've got to prioritize my work. I've got to prioritize my writing. I've got to, um, you know, I've got to make things, things work for me. I I like having my wellness routine or whatever it might be. So the likelihood is you can be like, actually I'll raise you at times. I can be 20% selfish, but you're not entirely Selfish. So that is a tool that can be interesting, which is the 2% truth. So if somebody is being critical, a way of examining it, if you, again, this is you doing self inquiry, is like, okay, can I own 2%? of whatever this person is saying. And then a bit like the example I gave, and then where does it serve me? So the selfish example, yeah, damn right. I mean, and I'll own it. You know, I put I put my mental health first. For me, that's exercise. I prioritize exercise over most other things because I know the benefits it has. Um, and I know it makes me a better mummy. Uh, I like uh, the feeling of being strong and those sorts of things and the energy it gives me. So can I... Um, own being quite selfish when it comes to prioritizing my fitness routine over other things, damn right, I can, and that's the reason why and how it's beneficial. so that's a way of like I say, sort of owning and um feeling really okay with maybe the the thing that's coming your way, if you like, and then the other tool is obviously this is nothing to do with you. it is projection, and projection is somebody. Uh, you know, as if they're throwing the um, obviously British British Christmas, like that, the jar of cranberry sauce across the table. And it is nothing to do with you. It's their insecurity. It's their uh, unsaid needs. It's them feeling like they haven't had enough of your, so they're calling you selfish as an example, but it's them feeling hurt that they haven't felt they've had as much access to you or they haven't felt as connected to you in the last year because you have been focusing on other things so like this is somebody else's projection and that means don't take it personally it is truly nothing to do with you
0: I love that and such an important point to uh, I, I love the two percent I'm going to use that moving forward I, I I can absolutely anyone can claim two percent of anything again it's just two percent of humanness um, but there's a tendency to sort of take it and then put it on the coat of judgment or the coat of whatever criticisms come on board and to immediately take it as truth and as accurate rather than kind of putting on our detective hat and looking at things more critically and saying, is this true to what degree is this true? And then as you said, perhaps is this someone's projection on me? Is this something that's more to do with their experience and their pain than it is to do with an accurate representation? So that's such a really, again, potent, powerful, helpful advice, which is so core of what you share on Instagram and why I love following you and why hundreds of thousands of others do as well, because it's really practical, tangible advice. So thank you for that. My pleasure. I wanted to ask one last question, which sort of really touches on part of the conversation we had earlier, which is tips for someone wanting to leave their job, but this time really focusing on how do you remain confident that there's other options out there for you? And that can really apply to dating or just walking away from one opportunity and having faith that there's another there for you.
1: So there's, it's a funny thing, again, going back to like our humanness and, you know, we, we are so connected and like, we're comparing ourselves like in social media, right. You know, and so we're looking at all these different things that we could or should be doing and then we get overwhelmed and then we procrastinate and, but yet then exactly as you say, we have this almost existential crisis of, but if I leave my job or I leave my partner or I leave this friend or I move to a different city, um, Will there be anything there for me or will I be horribly lonely? So there's a great book that I read that I'd recommend that everybody reads and it's called 4,000 Weeks and it's by a guy called Oliver Berkman and it's quite short. It's like a a short read, great beach read. But 4,000 Weeks is how many weeks you get on this earth if you live until you're 80. Okay, it's a bit scary, right? So suddenly it's like, oh my God, now I'm 42. So in theory, I've got less than 2,000 weeks left. So how do I want to spend them? How, who do I want to spend them with? And what do I want to spend them doing? Uh, And so that's like a little bit of a motivator, but digging into it what he says happens is we are profoundly aware as humans of this time frame. So what it means is we tend to procrastinate and get afraid of making these choices. So like, what if there's no one for me? What if there's not a job? What if I don't make any friends in the new city? Da, da, da. What will happen if I cut off this toxic friendship? Because we have this awareness that we're on this earth for such a limited time. He sort of argues that if you were here for three or 400 years, you would do everything because it doesn't matter. You'll get married and have kids. You'll get married and not have kids. You'll live in an ashram. You'll um, take up baking. You know, like it doesn't matter because you can do all of these things again and again and again. But because we have such limited time, we end up in this sort of existential crisis of having to make the right choice, the perfect choice, Mm -hmm. brings us back to perfectionism, Brings us back to the inner critic. And so that's where I would say this question is kind of coming from is she sounds, he or she sounds on the precipice of making a big change inner critics probably in the air there because obviously remember you're about to bust out of your comfort zone so inner critics doing all it can to hold you in there which is what if you fail what about this well there's no one for you what if there's you know whatever it might be and then the other element of that is of our, our very humanness and our physiology which is the awareness
0: of our choices and the limited time that we feel we have it's kind of this paradox you know there's feeling like you're running out of time but yeah. then that informing decisions that you then live out for a long time. So it's sort of this balance of trusting that the right decision, there's no right and wrong decision in this moment for you.
1: None at all. It really is feel the fear and do it anyway territory. And again, maybe go back to the dossier of evidence of times you did do things for the first time and it did work out. Okay. Doesn't have to be perfect, but you you know, you survived it. Um, And yeah, remembering that I think it was, I, when I read the book, I found it really helpful to be like, oh, that's why, you know, that's why I feel like that. Because you get almost like paralyzed by making the right choice to make it perfect because we have this underlying awareness of such limited time rather than flipping it on its head and being like, I've got such limited time. I'm going to make all the choices, you know?
0: And it sort of reminds me of what you were saying with the relationship of hope, the difference between hope and will. Mm and that hope is really connected to that future vision of when you travel forward in time. Is this something that you still want for yourself or even with the relationships and the friendships? Is this something that we, you would choose for yourself today? Mm-hmm. And letting that inform decisions rather than all the ideas of the past and all of your ideas of what may happen in the future. So that's – th- I think it's a really – again, practical advice that someone can take away and really use to make a more aligned decision, not mm. from any answers that we're giving of this is what's right and what's wrong and how to go about this, but just sort of that compass to find someone's or whoever is listening to this, what your own true north is in this decision-making process rather than leaning into the idea that someone else has the answers or that there's a right or wrong way of living your life Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my God, this was such a beautiful conversation. I'm so excited to dive back in and go into editing and really get this out there because you are incredible. And from this conversation, I know we've known each other for a long time. And there's been this kind of kindred bond in the work that we do and and sort of being in the online world and what that looks like and kind of been that camaraderie within that But to speak with you in this way has been not only just insightful and incredibly useful practical advice that you've been giving, but also just to get to know you and your essence and who you are and that the origin of sort of your background and the vulnerability of that and who you've become today. And that's such a beautiful, beautiful thing to share with me, but also with the audience of just how much. Someone can shift the narrative and how you've totally transformed your life and you 've created this beautiful world for yourself and contributing to the world in such a meaningful way. So I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, not only for being in this conversation but for being here and being who you are because you are such a light, and it's a privilege to be a part of that and to talk to you and get some of your nuggets of wisdom and lipos and Mm -hmm. practical tools that I'm going to be using throughout the week. So where can people find you? I want people to dive into your work. I want people to really connect with you. And I'm sure a lot of our audience is similar, and I'm sure that a lot of them already love you, follow you, but where else can they find more information to dive deep
1: Sure. So uh, yeah, Instagram at Annalie Howling is a place where you and I first met and uh, is a wonderful source of um, community, much like yours. So if, if they like love your stuff, I think you and I, again, are very aligned. And thank you for everything you said. YouTube actually is quite a hive of information. I wanted to put out some longer form video explaining things like the fawn trauma response, for example. And like I said, the Inner Critic Masterclass is sat up there. There's one about decoding self-love. So I wanted to put free resources out there for someone just to you know, you're in pain and you need you need something now to help you out of it. And usually it's helping you out of your own mind and out of your dark thoughts, and that's Anna Lee Howling. There is a TikTok, Annalie Howling, and my website, which is also AnnalieHowling.com, where you can download the self-reflection guide, um, which is actually something I created for myself when I was in the depths and is now available for other people, and you can book
0: uh to work with me as well. Thank you so much and lots of love speak to you soon. Thank you, darling.